Hello, everybody, and welcome to another podcast of ApostolicSundaySchool.com, where we cover a wide range of topics on everything to do with children's ministry. And now here is your thought of the day. The children who need love the most will always ask for it in the most unloving ways. Russell Barkley. Well, we are very happy to have... One of my good friends, Brother Tyler Hodge, here today. He's over Sunday school for many years in Lake Isabella. He now pastors in Oildale, California. He's been a children's evangelist, preached I don't even know how many junior camps, uh, started bus ministry. He is the king, the master of the kids' song. If you have any questions about kids' songs, he's the go-to guy. And he's been my friend for a long time, and we are so happy to have him on this podcast today. So welcome, Brother Hodge. Thank you so much, Brother Booker. It's glad to be here. Why don't you just briefly give us a background on your involvement in children's ministry, maybe how old you were, uh, how you got started in it, uh, just whatever you want to include. Sure. So I was raised in a home missions home. My mom and dad uh, moved to Lake Isabella, California in, I believe it was 1999 to start a, um, apostolic church in a place where there was no apostolic church and being raised in a home missions family, you just kind of become well-rounded in all areas of ministry. You're, you're, you're the one taking up the offering. You're the one playing the instruments. You're the one singing preaching, leading services, teaching Sunday school, all the above, until you develop people to fill those roles. And so um, I was involved in Sunday school at a very young age, um, and not just having parents uh, that were home missionaries and the opportunities that were involved with that as a PK, but also um, Brother Frank Cabrera, who pastors a church now in Shafter, he was uh, heavily involved in Sunday school at Brother Frost Church, First Pentecostal Church in Bakersfield. And he had started a fellowship group within our section called Junior Conquerors. And he had reached out to um, different Sunday school leaders in our local fellowship. And he would plan uh, little kids' conferences, actually. And there were one night. Um, crusades or, or, you know, children's services where all these churches would bring their kids to, and he would have the kids run the service. And I remember my first time I ever preached, um, I was, I was 10 years old and I preached at a junior conquerors meeting in Strathmore, California. And, uh, that kind of was the very big earliest, <laughs> the earliest, um, of my children's ministry. Of course, I was a child, so I didn't really see it as children's ministry. It was just ministry. And that's how I've always viewed children's ministry. When I was in Lake Isabella, I was youth pastoring for my dad. It was at that point in my ministry where I married my wife. And she was a Sunday school teacher and had been involved in Sunday school for many years. Her mom and dad were actually the Sunday school superintendents at Brother Bradford's church in Bakersfield, California. And uh, she started teaching Sunday school, and 
uh, I just kind of was on board with her ministry and helped her get some of her lesson planning together and everything for her class. And it was on a Wednesday night, we started realizing that our Sunday school kids were walking to our church, but we didn't have anything for them. It was really a midweek Bible study. And these kids were really uncultured in the ways of, you know, adult midweek Bible study. And so they weren't getting anything out of the service and they were really kind of a distraction to some of the adults that were there to to learn and to have church, but we didn't want to send them home and we didn't want to, you know, not welcome them to come. And so I approached my dad one night after a Wednesday night service that had been particularly um, chaotic. And I um, asked him, Hey, look, could Brianna and I do a children's church on Wednesday nights just for this next month and see how it goes. And um, they could be dismissed on offering or we could go in, you know, right away and just have children's church for these kids. And he said, let's try it. So we did. And that month, I remember five kids got the Holy Ghost um, in children's church on Wednesday night. Yeah. And uh, things just started happening, man. We started seeing kids get the Holy Ghost in Sunday school. And remind you, this is a home mission setting. We did not have a full Sunday school team. Literally, it was my wife and I in this uh, classroom. And we were just having a move of God. We were having a blast doing it. And uh, then uh, Brother Bradford um, has a school down in Bakersfield, a Christian school. And I was invited to come hold, preach one of their chapel services. They have chapel uh, once a week. And they invited us to come and do a children's service for them in chapel. And so we did. And uh, kids started getting the Holy Ghost in their chapel services at school. And uh, just God was really moving in that, that, that vein. And then before you know it, Brother B.J. Wilmoth gives me a call and asks me to come be the junior camp evangelist for the SoCal Junior Camp. And uh, really, that's all she wrote as far as my um, exposure and involvement in all areas of Sunday school. And it just kind of grew from there. So so that's kind of my backstory. Yeah. I do have a question. You mentioned that Junior Conquerors. That sounds really cool. Basically, it's like a fellowship meeting for kids. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, why not? We We have youth functions that are set up with the same exact structure that we use for junior conquerors. I mean, um, many local fellowships have youth meetings where youth groups from different churches and what have you go and, and listen to a guest speaker. And one of the churches take care of the music and another one of the churches provide a young minister to do like a little exhortation or another one, you know, somebody's leading the service. And so all these churches pull together in uh, youth conference settings so we just took that same framework and applied it to a big children's crusade style service. That's and awesome. so it was a blast, man. They'd Honestly, have, uh, I don't know that I've heard have, of anybody doing that. That's really a cool Oh idea. yeah. It was, it was a big deal. It was a big deal back in the nineties and, uh, early two thousands when I was really involved in it. And then, uh, brother Cabrera moved on to, uh, another vein of ministry and he was kind of the poster boy for all of that. And so it kind of fell apart. But I'd like to see something like that spring up again in our local area. And I, and I, and I hope that churches 
and maybe some other Sunday school teachers listening to this podcast that that would inspire and kind of stir a fire in them to do the same in their local fellowships. <clears throat> That's awesome. Now, one thing that I had a question about, you said it was run by the kids and yet you actually preached it. How did uh, Brother Cabrera facilitate that where it wasn't chaos, uh, but it still used those young young people? Right. Well, I think that there was um, a lot of discernment and wisdom used. Obviously, he was not the one that asked the kids to preach. He would facilitate with the pastors of those fellowshipping churches, first and foremost. And then he'd get down a little closer to the Sunday school ministry by talking to possibly a director or uh, a key Sunday school teacher that really knew the kids of that church. And he would just kind of... Um, hand over a certain aspect of the service to a church where he knew um, there would be somebody that could fill that spot. So for example, he didn't just ask any church to take care of the music or have a children's choir sing, because who knows if that church actually is gifted in that area or uh, had a children's choir to even do that. So it kind of took some knowing your local fellowship and knowing what resources they had available. Um, And then he'd just work with their Sunday school teachers and directors to facilitate, you know, who'd do what. And obviously he, he had a big role. It it wasn't completely hands off. Right. You know, he would direct it all. The the service. Yeah. He was pretty much the MC for the service. He would lead the service and kind of go over the announcements and what was to be expected and everything and introduce the kids or the groups that were going to be doing whatever in the service he would introduce them to come up. So they knew when to go up and everything. And, and obviously when I preached my first message, it was not, you know, uh, <laughs> a conference message. I mean, I, I think I read it from what I could remember, but it was That's the awesome, opportunity man. Getting the kids involved of it. At that age is so neat. I love that idea. Oh, absolutely. And not only for the child that's actually being involved, but for the children that's witnessing their peer involved on that level. You know, when kids look at a preacher, they don't look at the 12 year old preaching. They look at an adult. They look at an old man. They look at people a billion years older than them. And it seems kind of unreachable. And it's this dream of, at least it was when I was growing up, you know, it was always a dream to be a preacher, a dream to be in ministry or a dream to play an instrument um, or a dream to sing a song. But it wasn't until we saw our peers actively engaging in those roles in a service that it really became real to us. That's awesome. I don't know what form it will take, but I I think I'm going to do my best to try to implement something like that in the local area. That is just a great idea. Yeah, it was awesome. awesome. And a matter of fact, the the other uh, young preacher that um, was used to, we kind of tag teamed because, you know, how long can a 12-year-old preach? (laughs) So there was actually two keynote preachers um, that were assigned to the service, and then Brother Cabrera would kind of close it out, and he'd be the one that would, you know, kind of connect the dots and bring an altar call uh, to the forefront and everything. But um, the other one was Chad Bradley, and he was a peer of mine. We're the same age. We actually graduated high school together, and he is currently the youth pastor over at First Pentecostal Church. So both children used in those meetings on that level and given that opportunity are now involved in ministry and a leadership position in, in uh, local assemblies. So 
just goes to show there's never you never know what these kids are going to become. That is really cool. Well, I'm going to definitely be picking your brain more about that, and maybe even Brother Cabrera, because that's that's really cool. Um, back to kind of your background on children's ministry. Was there anybody that was kind of the greatest or biggest influence in children's ministry in your life or somebody you looked up to that mentored you? You know what? The, I think I think we'd have to take that one in stages because I've been involved in children's ministry for so long. Um, I obviously was not who I am today when I was 12. <laughs> so there was different influences throughout the different stages of my ministry involving Sunday school and children's ministry that had a huge impact of who I am today. And I think in the earliest stages of those would be my parents. You know, um, not only were my parents, uh, my parents, they were also my pastor and pastor's wife. And they did a great job, you know, instilling a love for the ministry into, into me as a PK, you know, and it was just something I always adored. And um, I wanted to be involved in any capacity that I could. And so when I saw the need, it was almost like an innate, uh, it was part of my nature to just want to jump in and, and, and get plugged in and be involved. And so first I got to give credit to my parents for putting that love of the ministry in me. And I don't think you have to be a pastor's family for parents to put that love of the ministry into their children. I think any um, set of parents needs to instill that into their children as, at a young age to, to love the work of God first and foremost. And then the second one in the second stage would be Brother Frank Cabrera. He opened a lot of doors up for me as far as uh, my early ministry. And also he had directed a junior camp that First Pentecostal Church in Bakersfield hosted up in the Alta Sierra mountain range. And uh, I was there as a, a camper one year, and then I was too old to be a camper. And from that point on, he actually kind of took me under his wing and him and I worked together doing skits and I'd help him, you know, kind of come up with the content of the camp, the themes of the camp. And we worked together for several years uh, before I actually became the director of the camp myself. Um, and so he was a huge mentor to me in children's ministry. And, um, you know, Lloyd Squires, the King's Clowns, got his fingerprints on me. Brother Jerry McCool, I have a good friend. Brother John Lagius, um, different children's evangelists. Brother Jason Bohannon, he's not a children's evangelist in, anymore, but his heartbeat for children's ministry still is so strong. And that's brother BJ Wilmoth um, has been a huge inspiration to me and a mentor to me in children's ministry. All those people that you mentioned are icons in children's ministry. So why do you feel that children's ministry is even a thing? Like, why is this something anyone should care about? Well, first and foremost, I believe in the, um, I believe in, in the big picture when it comes to any, aspect of the church you know we could look at at music and and uh people get a lot of people could get their feelings hurt in music ministry because they're not being used on the capacity that they think that they should be used but the leaders in those departments they have to make decisions not based on the feelings of one individual but they've got to step back and look at the big picture as how is this going to help our church how is this going to facilitate revival and worship in a church setting or in a church service and so 
with children's ministry, you're really taking a step back and you're looking at the big picture, not of a service, not even of a local congregation, but you're stepping back and you're looking at the big picture of the global kingdom of God for as long as the rest of this world exists. I mean, what we put into the hands of our children is going to determine the direction and the strength of the church for generations to come. It's going to determine ministers who are sent out into mission fields and, and pastors who take churches and pastors who start churches. And, and I think, you know, the idea that all we've got to work with is, is our adults and our young people, we are cutting out a humongous demographic of souls that we could develop and raise up to be propagators of the kingdom of God and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so first and foremost, I think we've got to see our children as souls that need salvation. And that is the importance of children's ministry. But not only that, our children need to be saved, but also that those kids grow up. And what are we going to put in their hands that's going to help them be successful in the next generation of the church? So, Absolutely. Has being a pastor changed how you feel about children's ministry in any way? It has. The reason why it has is I'm now in a place of leadership within a local congregation to where I can direct the congregation's attention toward these kids. And I I believe the reason why Brother Frank Cabrera was so instrumental in developing young people and kids toward ministry is because the leadership in their local church was so geared toward saving kids and saving souls. And they had a great bus ministry. Matter of fact, I ran into an old man uh, who had been a backslider since a child. And um, I started witnessing to him and he said, Oh yeah, is that the church over there off 36 and Oh, and I said, well, it's not there anymore. They've moved to a different location. And he said, Oh yeah. I remember going to Sunday school there. I was taken on the bus and we used to chant, 36th and 0 is the best place to go. Well, he remembered this 50 years later. Oh my and, uh, and, and, and it stood out to him. And so I think as a pastor now, I have more of a responsibility to guide our church toward investing and impacting the lives of the kids in our community and the kids in our church so that we could see, you know, revival among them and among their families and among generations to come. So, Yeah, I know Brother Ken Baglin many times has said that with all the home missions, churches that he started, he began most of them with children's ministry. That was kind of the kicking the door open and everything kind of led from there. So it's definitely... That's crazy that you mentioned that. I know Brother Frank Cabrera, when he started his church in Shafter, that is exactly how he started his church. I mean, they had a lot more coming to Sunday school, a lot of kids coming to Sunday school than they had adults in those beginning years. But, um, so I, I can definitely testify to that. That's awesome. <clears throat> All right. So it seems like there's been a, uh, resurgence of children's ministry in North America, especially among apostolics where we're, uh, just seeing more bus ministries, or at least it's more in the public eye. Have you noticed that? Or is that just my perspective? I think it's I think it's both, and here's why I say that. Um, I think that there has been a revival of 
in some churches for the need of a children's ministry that's powerful and um, effective. But I think a lot of it also has to do with the second thing that you said as far as it's in the public eye a lot more. You know, I look at some of the local churches in our fellowship, Brother Bradford's, for example, um, or others, and they've been having awesome Sunday school for a long time. But I mean, you just look at the changes in technology within the past couple of decades and how connected we are. You know, 20, 30 years ago, we saw each other at camps and conferences and fellowship meetings, and that was pretty much the extent of our knowledge of each other as a church or as a congregation of, of yeah. saints. Social media <laughs> has definitely increased it, and I know there has uh, really in the past been no way to share these neat stories and great ideas that maybe one isolated church might have. There's no way to spread it before social media and before the Internet became what it is. Um, right. I also do know, in, at least in the group that we run with in the apostolic movement that a lot of people are starting to focus on bus kids. Maybe it's because they're inspired through the stories that they're hearing and seeing. I don't know, but I've, I've heard of more bus ministries starting in the last couple of years and probably, uh, well, let's just say a long time before that. I don't know if that's the case, Absolutely. but that's how it seems. Well, I think, I think that it's a mixture of being inspired by seeing you know, through social media and the testimonies of other churches through different venues, like conferences and, and just having fellowship and connectivity with one another. Um, they're being inspired by the churches, but I think also for a long time, the way that a lot of churches has worked as far as their outreach methods has been kind of to go out to the community and ring the dinner bell and say, hey, y'all come on and come to church, you know, why don't you just come to church and 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 nobody shows up to the dinner table. I mean, honestly, and I'm, I'm not saying that to be uh, disrespectful of the efforts of those that have preceded us, but I think that there's just a desire in this last day that we've got to be more effective in our outreach. And if they won't come, then we're going to go and we're going to provide a way to bring them and we're going to go get them, you know, I think I think the mindset of a lot of churches has changed to well, they come, they come. If they don't, then oh well, we'll just try for the next people. No, I think there's a little bit more desperation within the ministries of local churches to say, hey, listen, we're going to do whatever it takes to get them here. Absolutely. So, well, you you brought up something that I was going to bring up later about outreach. Um, for someone that's looking for a quick <clears throat> a quick win in outreach, like they want to see someone come to church do you have any recommendations for a church that's just maybe breaking into this or maybe wanting to start picking up kids or whatever what's a a quick win or promotion or something that they can do to see immediate results i know you can't guarantee anything but sure no there's no guarantee to the results but i think the biggest thing i mean the majority of guests that we have coming into our churches today are not strangers. The majority of the people coming into our churches are people that we already have a connection with. They're either friends at our kids' schools, their neighbors, their coworkers, their their family members or extended family members. We already have some type of connection built there. And I think if we could just be bold enough 
and excited enough to share our enthusiasm toward church and toward Sunday school and toward the kingdom of God to those that we already know. I think there's a huge, and I, I'm not, I'm not saying this in a business way, but I guess it is. There's a huge uh, market or there's a huge pool of people that would love to come. What What are some ways to actually do that? Um, well, I think one of the ways is to invite them. <laughs> and when you invite them, be excited that you're inviting them and, and not intimidated about it at all. And if you're excited about what's going on at your church, when you invite them, there's going to be a level of enthusiasm and zeal in your voice that's going to intrigue the ear of the hearer. Um, but aside from just personal evangelism, I think the best way that we've ever had people come to church uh, or getting kids to come on our bus ministry, we've had some success with door knocking. Um, I think if you're going to try door knocking as an outreach method, uh, if you show up once on their doorstep and push a flyer in their face, they're not going to come. But if you go back consistently and you build a relationship with the families, yes. you build a relationship with the tenants of those apartment complexes or whatever it may be, trailer parks, whatever, they start to see your bus and it becomes familiar to them. They see your face in the community. It's familiar to them. That's what's effective with door knocking nowadays. Absolutely. Uh, but um, the biggest success that we've had is vacation Bible school and uh, community events. So when I say community events, I mean, uh, I'll just, just give you an example of a community event that we're going to be hosting at our church uh, March 17th, this coming Saturday, and um, or next Saturday anyway. And we're calling it a family spring kickoff. It's going to start at noon in our church parking lot, and I've, uh, we're going to have some inflatables, a huge you know, inflatable obstacle course, we have some cornhole games set out. Have have a cornhole tournament, relay races, and and carnival booths set up and stuff. And we're going to be giving away hot dogs and and waters to the community. And uh, I bought a Facebook ad through our church Facebook page for twenty bucks. And it's supposed to reach like sixty one hundred people specifically to Facebook accounts in our zip code area. So I mean. I think um, as far as mass distribution for events and what have you, I think Facebook ads is the way to go. Matter of fact, I read a statistic not too long ago that Facebook makes more revenue than Google when it comes to advertising. It's ironic that you bring that back or bring that up because I just spoke to uh, Brother David Howell about Facebook advertising. I guess they're having a lot of success with it and we're, we're really looking into it because I've heard it's very, very successful. Well, I'll tell you how it goes because I just created our first Facebook ad to advertise this spring kickoff uh, on March 17th. And so we'll see how successful it is in our area. But, um, you know, Vacation Bible School events like this, um, you know, we have an October Kids Carnival that we really push the community to come to. And when we do community events like that hosted at our church, it's never just a push for the kids. We make it a family deal, and that's how it's promoted. So um, obviously the focus is going to be on families who have children, but we want the parents to know that, hey, this isn't just for your kids. We want you to come as a family unit and enjoy yourselves together. So, Yeah, <clears throat> and what you said about repeated visits to the same neighborhood, I cannot amen that enough. The first time you go, you're going to have a lot of skeptics. You can imagine you're asking for kids' 
to come to church. So in this society, they're not real keen on letting their kids go with strangers. So the second time, third time, fourth time, you're going to start seeing results. We have a community of of, uh, Spanish-speaking people that is very tough to reach. Like They they don't want to talk to me when I first came there. But after two or three weeks of visiting, now you're just one of the neighborhood, and they're they're completely accepting, and now they're sending their kids, so it's pretty exciting. As far as teachers, people work in bus ministry, any realm of children's ministry, how important do you feel it is for them to connect with other people that do the same thing? Um, you know, what we've done through the conference calls, going to seminars, uh, just getting ideas from other people. Do you see that as a priority, or is it kind of overrated? Uh, I, I definitely, you know my position. That was a really rhetorical question to ask me. It kind of <laughs> but, was, but I'd like to hear your perspective on that. I think, honestly, um, just in the dynamic of Sunday School that we're working with today, I understand the the desire of someone to say, well, if we just have the Holy Ghost and if we're just teaching truth and that's what's going to bring the kids through the door. Um, and as long as we're praying, then we're going to have a revival with our children. Hey, listen, you know what? We are competing in an environment that is very difficult. If you don't have fresh ideas, if you don't build relationships with these kids, I mean, um, these kids don't know what truth is. These kids don't even understand the concept of the essentiality of truth. They just go where they want in a lot of cases, or they go where their families are going. Um, And they don't come to church for entertainment necessarily, because if that's the case, then they could stay at home in in, in their living room and get entertained just as much as they they can coming to Sunday school uh, in in some aspects. But... I think just the fact that says, well, we have a Sunday school department. We've got the Holy Ghost. We're teaching the truth. That's all we need to do. Um, I don't know how popular of a sentiment that is, but it's you're, you're not going to have a successful children's ministry if that's your mindset. You've got to constantly be reaching out for fresh content. And how do you find that? I don't think Google is the best place to go for apostolics just because um, – there is not very much apostolic content on there. Now, if, if you know, if you know your doctrine, you know, you, you can identify what's false and what's not, which I'd hope our Sunday school teachers are able to do that. Then you could, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bone on some of this, these resources that's available online. But, um, I think really where we're going to get our best inspiration and encouragement as far as fresh ideas and fresh methods um, is going to be at seminars and, and connecting with other Sunday school directors or children's ministry workers, bus workers from other churches and draw from one another. Yeah, speaking um, of that, this is a good segue. If you're listening to this and it's before May 4th and 5th, 2018, then set it on your calendar. We're having a uh, teacher workshop in Redlands, California at Hope Center, pastored by Brother Wilmoth. And it's on May 4th and 5th, Friday night and Saturday. It's going to be a great time. Brother Tony Spell is going to be there. He's going to talk about bus ministry. Brother Hodge is going to be there. 
myself, we have uh, Sister Sonia Frost from Bakersfield, uh, Sister Kathy Garrett from Fresno. we got a bunch of people coming. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be pretty cool. Another thing is the Kingdom Kids Conference, which is coming up at Summit, which is in Pigeon Forge in... Uh, do you know the dates offhand? Is it September 4th through 6th, I think? Well, you can verify that and check it. It's uh, September 4th through 6th. It is. Okay. So it's Tuesday night through Thursday night, and we're looking for as many volunteers as we can get. Come join us. Get all the ideas you can. Take them home. Put them in your church. Uh, if you want ideas uh, to get better, both of those events are great places to do it. Um, so, Brother Hodge, as far as Sunday school teachers are concerned, if you had to narrow down three most important characteristics of the very best Sunday school teachers, I know that's tough to do. It's not even fair to ask, but what would they be? No, you know what? I think that's a great question. Um, and to me, it's not really that difficult. Of course, there's probably going to be a lot of other opinions out there concerning, you know, the top three characteristics. Everyone's kind of got a different perspective on this. But to me, um, the top three in my book is, and that I tell our teachers that if you're nothing else, at least be these three. And it's wild that you you actually have that number three because that's the number that I use to tell our teachers, you better be this. And so it's crazy because I already had this answer planned out before you asked it. So <laughs> um, I think the first, I think the first one is you've got to be sincere. You absolutely have to be sincere. If you don't like kids, <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't like working with children. Um, they get on your nerves and you're kind of just a, a, a grumpy old goat when it comes to kids and fun and excitement and, 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 you know, snotty noses and, rambunctious children, then uh, I I don't think Sunday school is really the best fit for you. Probably and, not. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised because there's a lot, and I'm speaking from being a pastor of a growing congregation. Notice I didn't say a small congregation because I'm actually, our, our church congregation is average. I, I believe uh, the average church in North America today is about 80 um, members. And so, uh, I don't think we're average. I don't think we're small. I think we are a revival church with a growing Absolutely. congregation. And so, but the reality of it is, is smaller churches don't have as much resources as larger churches do concerning personnel. And so we're in a place right now to where Sunday school is my candy stick. I'm beating the church over the head and I don't do it in a spiteful way or a vindictive way, but I'm always promoting Sunday school and I'm always praising our staff and I'm always encouraging others to get involved in the different aspects of children's ministry. But sometimes you just got to take a step back and realize, look, with the amount of resources and individuals in our church that we currently have, the people who want to be a part of Sunday school is already a part of Sunday school. And I can't get anybody else to join. I know that doesn't sound like a very hopeful scenario, but I'll just give you an example it's better to realize that and work with what you have and reach out to new converts to grow the church so you have a bigger pool to draw from when it comes to staff than to force somebody who's not meant for children's ministry to be in children's ministry just because you need more staff. And so I'll give you a personal example of this. 
we've been praying for another bus driver for two years. I, I have my class B license and we started a bus ministry. I bought another bus because our route was growing so much. Um, I bought another bus in faith that somebody in the church would get their license. And it's been a year and a half since I've bought the bus and nobody's got their license yet. And it's my candy stick. And I'm, I'm, I'm promoting it all the time. Somebody get the license, you know, I'm passing that out there and just nobody's getting it. Right. And so I've been praying, God, send a laborer, put it in the heart of somebody to, to drive this bus. I mean, I see the potential here and just nobody would catch it. Um, and so I kind of changed my prayer. I was like, okay, God, if they're not here, help me to win somebody who has a heart for this ministry. And bro, the last family that we won to God, the Rose family, uh, husband and wife and their two daughters, um, coming to church, he has a class A license and he came and the second Sunday, he's like, Hey pastor, do you need help driving a bus? Oh my goodness. How awesome. (laughs) And so, and so I think we could kind of get our, 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 focus in the wrong area, trying to force, um, participation from a group of people that, you know, we have all the people that want to be involved in Sunday school. So instead of harping on them to get involved in a place where that's not meant for them, let's just try to grow the church and see who God will bless us with, you know, um, because sincerity is, sincerity is key. They're not sincere about the ministry. It's not going to be effective they don't love those kids, if they don't have a, a burden to see them saved and they're not sincere about it, then the kids are going to read through that and it's, it's not going to be effective. So number one is sincerity. Number two is going to be consistency. I know emotionally it could be a roller coaster <laughs> dealing with children's ministry. And I know life happens and life's a roller coaster. Nonetheless, children's ministry and, you know, weekend to weekend, we could have different emotions just in our minds, not necessarily even concerning Sunday school, but we just wake up and we're having a bad day. You know, we stubbed our toe getting ready for church and we, you know, got a ticket on the way to church and the kids are fighting in the back seat. You can't bring that spirit into the Sunday school area. You've got to be consistent. You know, you got to show them that love, show them that excitement. Even when the attendance isn't consistent, one Sunday you had, you know, a hundred kids in this class or uh, 30 kids in your class. And then that next Sunday, you've got five kids in your class or 40 kids in your class. You can't, you can't treat those kids any different than you did the last Sunday when you had a hundred or 30. Um, you've got to be consistent in your zeal. You've got to be consistent in your love. You got to be consistent in your example. When they see you in the community, you better be apostolic. If yeah, they come on a midweek service, tell our Sunday school teachers, if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you don't feel creative or happy or excited to see the kids, just fake it because it's better for you to fake yeah, it than to that's right. be a grumpy old toad that nobody wants to be around. I, I agree with that. And I think a lot of times it's a mind thing. You know, our mind wants us to be angry. Our flesh wants us to be angry or sad or whatever the case may be. But if you force yourself to just be in the moment with these kids to where you're ministering to these kids and you're putting, you're, what you're really doing is you're putting your flesh under subjection. And by the time you leave that Sunday school session, you're actually going to feel better because you faked it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so I think consistency is key. You know, when they, when they see it at the grocery store, you better be apostolic. When you come to, if those kids come to Sunday night service or a midweek service, they better see you praying and worshiping like you are barking at them to pray and to worship and 
children's church. You know, you got to be that consistent example. And the last one, I think that's key for an effective Sunday school minister is preparation. Um, That will prove might not. (laughs) I know (laughs) if if you're not prepared, I don't care how creative you are naturally. um, You're going to flop. What happens is when you're not prepared, you're so focused on the material that um, you're not paying attention to the kids. But if you're prepared, the material's really kind of second nature to you. You know how everything's going to work out. You know, you have your object lesson all lined out. You know the story inside and out. You could do the actions to the song in your sleep. You know, you're not focused on the material, but your focus is on the kids. Absolutely. You know, when <laughs> I've said when this before, not pre- but we had some really, really... Uh, kind of complicated results from, from some lessons. There were some days that I had really, really prepared. I mean, I had stuff all laid out and honestly, I did a pretty poor job presenting the lesson. I didn't go that great. Uh, but the kids still responded so well, even though I honestly didn't do that well when I taught, even though I was prepared, but I've had other days when I kind of regurgitated a lesson that I've had sitting on the shelf and I know I can pull that off whenever I don't want to prepare something. And I tried it, and even though I probably did a better presentation, the kids felt that something was off. And honestly, it was not a very good Sunday. So preparation really does work. I don't know if it's just the blessings of God or if kids are more intuitive than you give them credit for. But uh, either way, preparation is pretty important. Absolutely. And I'll just say this, too. I think, you know, some people might think, well, why wasn't creativity in that list? Um, I think it's important to be creative. I think it's important to have somebody or somebody's on your team that's creative, but I don't think it's essential for every Sunday school minister to be creative. I, I think that's where if you act in that specific department, that's where you could draw from other team members and other ministers, um, to kind of make up that difference. There's a lady in brother Bradford's church who's been teaching Sunday school for over 30 years. Her name is sister Darlene Tigret. And she teaches the kindergarten class. And my, she was my wife's teacher, Sunday school teacher, growing up. And she could remember, and she could. She told me, well, I don't remember her being over-the-top creative, but she told stories, and she talked to us, and she loved on us. And all the kids love her, and the kids look forward to going to Sunday school. And she's been a Sunday school teacher forever, and she's been effective at doing what she does. That's awesome. But, um, I think I think there's other characteristics of Sunday school teachers that if you focus on those and really connect with the kids, even if you're not the most creative person in the world, you could still be a good Sunday school teacher. Absolutely. I really like how you said that. Uh, sincerity will go a long way. <laughs> Just showing the kids that you love them will make a connection that blowing something up won't. But that's cool. That's awesome. Do you feel like there are any ideal classroom setups, as in number of kids in each class, the breakdown of ages in those classrooms, if, uh, I guess, local resources, facilities, and personnel were not an obstacle, what would be the ideal setup, or is there one? No. Next question. Perfect. Okay. I like that. You know what? There's... 
the only reason why I say that is because, bro, there are so many different um, conditions that we're talking about when we're talking about, you know, facility. And I know you're saying, you know, if resources and staffing and facility was not um, was not an obstacle or, or anything like that. I understand it's a hypothetical question, but um, I don't really know of the utopian. Question. Well, I, I don't know if <laughs> the utopia of an ideal classroom setup is practical for most churches. Honestly, you just got to work with what you got, and 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 uh, I guess make it ideal for, for your church. Say. Uh, what do you do as far as a setup? And our situation is is a little odd because we 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 are forced into a position where we have to have classes larger than we want. One of our classrooms is quite big; it's too big, but we don't have a choice. So, sure. in an ideal world, I would think I don't know thirty kids would be. I guess our problem is I can't get to know the kids on a one on one level the way I'd like to. Yeah. Um, even though I do my best before and after class on the bus and all that. But, right. You know, in an ideal world, is there a, a classroom size that is better than another? Um, do you prefer power hour or smaller classrooms or a mix? I like I like to mix things up. Um, we do power hour once a month at our church. Um, and... You know, us being a growing congregation, notice I didn't say small, <laughs> us being a growing congregation, yeah, um, a growing congregation, we we only have a few teachers, and so that limits how many classes we can have, because I don't care if you have one class, because you don't have very a very big Sunday school department, you need to have one more, more than one adult in that class. Yeah. And so if you're going to have multiple classes, you need to have at least two teachers in that classroom. Um, and that's just for safety reasons and uh, accountability. Not that we don't trust our Sunday school staff. If, if, if we seriously don't trust our Sunday school staff to be able to manage a classroom of, of, of kids on their own, then I question seriously whether they should even be on staff. But it's not so much for accountability uh, to the church for the classroom as it is accountability to the community. I mean, all it takes is one kid to go home and tell their parents that their teacher did something and there's not another adult to vouch um, for for the other teacher and all of a sudden you're you're in a world of trouble. Absolutely. So no matter no matter what um, no matter what size class or how many classes you're gonna have, you need to at least have two teachers to a classroom. Uh, and then from there I think you need to look at ratios and also the size of the classroom. I don't think you know, um, if you have 10 kids to an adult, I think that's that's uh, probably ideal. Um, I would feel comfortable with that. I know my wife, when she was teaching Sunday school at Brother Bradford's church, they had three teachers to a classroom, and that's what their average was, was about 30 to 40 kids in a class. And it worked out great. Um, but then there's a lot of other... Uh, things that go into that, you know, uh, of those 10 kids are eight of them docile and two of them are wild cards, <laughs> Right. Yeah. you know, and, and so all it takes is one wild child to kind of 
tweak the whole um, ratio. And so sometimes it's not one adult to ten kids. Sometimes it's one adult, one to adult one needing kid. to get yeah one one adult to one kid. And so there's just a lot of different um, scenarios that go into identifying the ideal classroom setting. But yeah. I think ideally thirty to forty is is um, probably the max that I would see in a classroom setting. Now, power hour, I would split that up into age groups because there are certain themes and certain methods of teaching um, that might be a little considered a little too scary or too intense for younger uh, kids. And so in an ideal world where you can have two separate power hours going on simultaneously, um, I would have kind of a preteen power hour and then like a primary power hour. So, yeah, I really like kind of my the, the power hour slash children's church environment because it typically lends itself to prayer at the end more than a typical classroom Absolutely. environment. Yeah, Not I've that, seen that the too. Holy Ghost can't move in a classroom, but in no, a, but typically that's what I, I think. I think that's generally across the board true. Yeah, is you, you tend to have better altar calls in a children's church power hour setting than you do classrooms. I agree with that. Try to change gears a little bit. We're always trying to get new people involved. Like you mentioned, trying to recruit volunteers is tough. But when you get one, they're usually brand new to this, very raw, and you want them to be experienced. You want them to gain the experience of teaching, but you also don't want to have the class suffer from their uh, from their being so new. Is What's a good way to integrate them into the class gradually without affecting the class, but yet still give them experience? Well, definitely, number one, I think in, in any classroom or, or children's search environment, with, when you have a team of people that's implementing a, a service or a lesson plan, um, there needs to be impeccable communication among those team members as to who's going to be doing what. Um, if that person is going to be uh, sick or something comes up. Well, I guess, I guess if it comes up, then you can't really help it. Or if you're sick, you can't really help that either. But um, for someone who's new to Sunday school, you can't just drop things on them at the drop of the hat and expect them to knock it out of the park. There needs to be clear communication and expectations with the other teachers as to what they want that new person to do. And they need to not just tell them what to do, but they need to give them direct some direction as to how to do it. They don't have to tell them exactly how to do it because everybody's different. They're going to be doing things their own way, but at least give them some basic examples of how to execute what's been uh, asked of them. So yeah. for example, if, if you tell someone new, Hey, look, I want you to get uh, uh, a, a game together um, this Sunday, or I want you to uh, teach the memory verse to the kids this Sunday or, or whatever. The other teachers just need to give some direction as to how to execute certain things. For example, if a teacher tells a new uh, teacher or children's minister, look, I want you to do the game this next Sunday, or I want you to teach some memory verse next Sunday, that's your role in this uh, lesson plan or this children's church, that's what I want you to do. Don't just tell them what to do, but give them some examples as to some games that would be appropriate or that you've done in the past that the kids really enjoyed or uh, some methods on how to teach them in reverse. Um, and maybe for the first couple of Sundays, you could help them and, and somebody could kind of take them under their wing that's a little more experienced 
and help them get their lesson plan together. Awesome. The dan- or, or their role together for that that specific Sunday. The danger to that though is uh, to to allow that new person to grow their wings and not be dependent on that experienced teacher. Because what I've seen, I've had the fullest intentions to train up teachers, and so I'll show them how to do it. I'll help them figure out ideas, and, and I'll, I'll show them multiple ways and avenues that they can take it. Well, after so long of doing that, they get dependent on that, and, um, and it, you ended up not teaching them anything. You ended up enabling them um, to not prepare themselves. So I think there's a delicate balance there, but... Definitely concise communication um, with clear expectations um, and and some direction as to how to execute those things. Cool. Well, we got two last things, then we're done. Um, as you can tell, Brother Hodge is a wealth of information on so many areas. We didn't even get to a lot of what I wanted to cover, which is not a bad thing. We can always come back for part two. Uh, but what does your church do, Brother Hodge, for curriculum, or do you use curriculum at all? Ouch! Ouch! But you stepped on you stepped on a nerve. Okay, tell me about it. Okay, I'll just be honest with you, brother. Um, I think Pentecostal Publishing House has been the uh, the go-to resource for apostolic Sunday school curriculum for a long time. Um, and I, uh, I, I'm sure that the curriculum that they're cranking out works in some areas. Um, but it's just not working out very good with our certain demographic and our church culture and our, our community culture. Um, I'm finding it to be a little too advanced um, for some classes, um, and and my teachers are finding out uh, that they have to come up with a lot of ideas still on their own, which is not a bad thing, um, but there's there's huge gaps, and, and from what I've seen, there's not a lot of options out there as far as apostolic uh, curriculum, um, other than Pentecostal Publishing House. So that's where creativity really needs to be a parent in your Sunday school ministry somewhere. If it's missing in one teacher, then somebody on your team's got to have that creative streak to be able to take curriculum, whether it's Pentecostal Publishing House or even non-denominational curriculum, which I do not like using uh, at all. But for VBS, um, Lifeway just has the best that I've seen, um, the best structure and and, uh, the songs. You can't beat their songs and the production of of uh, the materials they get together for vacation Bible school. Um, but obviously the doctrine's just way off. And so you've got to have that creative streak to be able to go in there and, and recognize the gaps, recognize the, the theological um, discrepancies and change those things and still be fluid with the lesson plan and uh, engaging with the kids. And so I think creativity is just, that's, that's where you really need to be creative Um, because unless you're coming up with your own lesson plan, there's not really a whole lot of options unless you're going to go with PPH. Um, So I'd I'd love to see another option out there. (laughs) Well, that's what I was about to say. There's a big gap out there that needs filled. So, Brother Hodge, uh, what are you doing this weekend? 
No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, I guess I'm going to be writing the curriculum, but... Yeah, we definitely, if there's anybody listening to this that wants to get involved in a huge project, this is something that we've discussed in the past. Yeah, we know yep. it needs done, but it's going to require a ton of time and effort. So we're absolutely, it's going to be a big, big project, but we need a lot of, a lot of help. Um, I'll, lastly, well, I'll tell you what, though, that yeah. helps my teachers with the creativity and guiding their lesson plan and, and, you know, putting some really, uh, uh, fiery, um, events and things into their classroom or their Sunday, uh, their children's church, what have you, is uh, apostolicsundayschool.com. You know, I've heard of that website somewhere. No, They've I'm... helped out a lot of churches across Pentecost, brother. I'll tell you what, this has been a tremendous blessing to teachers. It's been a great resource. I am going to encourage you teachers, though, use it as a resource. And don't use it as, oh, no, I didn't prepare all week long, so I'm just going to go on Apostolic Sunday School and see what Brother Booker can give me. Because <laughs> um, I know firsthand, not, not me, of course, but I know firsthand <laughs> that that's what it, it can be. If you don't prepare, that you're not, you're not going to get it down. So, but well, that, that is a tremendous point. resource. It, it provides a lot of object lessons, but there's not a lot else. So you can't fill your whatever yeah. length of time you have with, with what's on there. So you definitely have to come up with a lot, even if you were to really rely heavily on it. So we are trying to True. expand it, make it better, but it's nowhere near filling the, the void that's out there. So anyway, I, Brother brother Hodge, uh, are there any other resources, anything uh, that you can suggest for Sunday school teachers that are looking for more material? Just ideas. So if you're looking for any other resources other than Apostolic Sunday School, other than Pentecostal Publishing House, um, there's there's really not a, a, a lot of content out there as far as apostolic um, content goes. Uh, I can say that Apple Music is or Spotify is something that I, um, I'm a huge poster boy for both Spotify and Apple Music when it comes to children's ministry, finding new songs. That's a great resource if you can figure out how to use it. I know this, and, and, I, and I hesitate even bringing this up because of what's out there, but uh, YouTube and Google, there's a wealth of information on there, but it takes some research to find something actually worth using or adapting to the apostolic doctrine or to an apostolic classroom. So um, you just gotta you just gotta be discerner. You gotta do your due diligence to research what would work Absolutely. or whatever there are no plan, but... to good Sunday school, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, well Brother Hodge, thank you so much. I'm sorry to take up so much of your time, but we do appreciate it and thank you for I enjoyed sharing it. all your thoughts. All right, brother. Well we will catch up with you soon.